0: Hey friends, welcome to the Everyday Mealmanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans, and I'm glad you're hanging out with us today. Uh, I just got done re- reading uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. And if you've never read it, I recommend it. It's very interesting. It gets you thinking. It's pretty cool. There's some cool stuff in there uh, about the 10,000 hour rule and and it kind of talks about success and uh, where it comes from, and and kind of challenges our traditional views of success. And um, right at the beginning, it talks about you know a group of hockey players in Canada, um, you know some of the best of the best. And I'm not familiar with hockey. There's not a lot of hockey going on here in Utah, um, but it kind of brought up an interesting. Point, and I'm, I'm going to keep it short and sweet for y'all. Let you read the book yourself, but basically, it it studied all these successful hockey players in Canada, and they tried to figure out okay, what makes them so successful, and they and they took all this information. and One thing they found that most of these successful hockey players had in common is that they were usually born toward the beginning of the year. So January, February, March, the majority of them were born then. And it kind of went into detail about why, why that is. And, uh, didn't really have anything to do with it being so special, you know, of a month. But what it did have to do with was that these players that were born at the beginning of the year, they were, they were more mature. They were bigger, stronger. You know, and as, as children growing up as children, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine, 10 months of time can make quite the difference in your maturity, in your body, in your mind, in your strength, in your ability to think and all these things. And, and since the hockey season starts at the beginning of the year for Canadians, this was a huge advantage for those people. Now it doesn't take anything away from hard work, of course. Just because you're born in January doesn't mean you're going to be a great hockey player without putting in the work. But it means that if you do put in the work, you will have an advantage over those that are maybe born in September or October time when it comes time for recruiting. So anyways, with that being said, I want to share a little bit about my childhood and the advantages that I had. Um, all of you that know me personally, you know that I, I really value a work ethic. You know, one thing my dad always taught me was, you know, and, and we're here in the U.S. I know there's people listening all over the world, but he says you're an American, and you have the right to work harder. And um, I really took that to heart. That's how I grew up. Hard work. Make success. But after reading this book, Outliers, something that got me thinking was you know what? I did work hard, but honestly, I was born uh, into a circumstance that made me who I am today. And it's because I took advantage of that, and it's because I grew from that that made all the difference in the world. My dad was, still is. He's still alive, still around. Uh, not talking like he's dead or something. But he, he really set things up for me and my brothers, and my sister, for success, um, and my mother as well. But my dad was instrumental in the horsemanship for me. Uh, before I can even remember, um, my dad would have me watch him start colts. So when I was just a little baby. My parents both worked. My dad would work uh, nights, and at that time he was delivering. Uh, I can't remember if he delivered beer or Coca Cola or water or something, but he was he was delivering stuff at night to grocery stores and to convenience stores, and then he would uh, come home and and work Colts and start Colts, and my mother would go to work. So my mom would watch me most of the day, my dad would watch, or excuse me, my my mom would watch me through the night, dad watched me through the day, and because of that, before I can even remember, as a little baby sitting in a stroller next to a round pen, I began my journey in horsemanship. And I remember as a small, small child, like I can remember three, four, five years old, watching my dad work horses. Now things were different back then, um, to how maybe I kind of do things these days, um, tried to get better all the time, but you know, for the most part, my dad would kind of just get him saddled up the best he could and just try to buck him out. Um, and my dad was a good hand. And I remember as a small child cheering for my dad, stay on, stay with it. Don't fall off. And I see. I saw my dad ride many, many bucking horses and mules. And uh, from an early age, I learned the importance of grit. The importance of trying to fight through that, fight through that dangerous situation. Now these days, we can rely less on grit and more on we can, we can rely more on our knowledge and ability and persuasion of the mule helping to convince them, making the right thing easier. But back then it was just a battle of battle of strength, who can stay on. And if you fall off, get on again. Do it again. And I watched my dad go through this most of my childhood until I was big enough to start doing what he did when I was about eight years old I became the quote test dummy and I started riding the buckers and he'd put me on and he'd usually hang on the lead rope for as long as he could that is and that horse or that mule would buck around there and and I learned how to stay on um and if you didn't stay on it was a problem my dad you know he 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 was of the mindset that if you get bucked off, if this cult bucks you off and it learns how to buck you off, it will remember it and it's going to happen again. And so if I got bucked off, I got in trouble. It was a problem if I got bucked off it, and it was a little bit of a disgrace. It was, it was not something, you know, you, you, you weren't, it wasn't a good thing. To get bucked off it was embarrassing the first wreck real wreck i ever had and it was completely my fault but i was about the same that same age eight years old and i was riding a young horse and i rode him through a patch of stinging nettle and uh, there's a lot of stinging nettle here in utah in the mountains i rode through a patch of stinging nettle spooked my horse of course it stung the horse he took off running, crow hopping, I'm sure. To me, it felt like a real rodeo, but I didn't stay on. I fell off, but I got hung up in the stirrup. My foot was stuck and the horse drugged me for a little ways until I finally smacked into a log and it ripped me out of the stirrup and it broke my arm. And I remember even then as an eight-year-old not being scared Not being, you know, super upset, you know, or or worried about the horse, but I was mad that I came off and, um, I was mad that I got hurt because then my dad wouldn't let me ride. I couldn't ride for, for eight weeks or whatever. And it it made me just want to stay on everything. I didn't want to fall off. Eight weeks come, and I could ride again. I always, I always was a curious kid. I was always looking for stuff. Always looking out here for arrowheads and and Indian stuff and lizards and snakes. And I'm scared to death of snakes, but I'd, I'd be looking out for them. But uh, I remember first ride back after I broke my arm. I'm looking for lizards and junk, and the horse jumps a little bit of a kind of a little bit of a drainage, you know, where the water runs off the mountain, makes a, not quite a ravine, not quite a ditch, but a little drainage area. My horse jumped one of those. I fell right off. (laughs) And my horse, uh, he just jumped. It didn't buck me off. I just fell right off. Uh, wasn't paying attention. And my horse continued to follow my dad. My dad at this point didn't know that I'd fallen off yet. So I was remember trying to sneak up to my horse. I was running behind the horse, trying to sneak up to it without not sneaking up to the horse, but sneaking up. So my dad didn't notice that I fell off. I wanted to hurry, get back on before my dad saw. And just as I was about to get up to the horse, he turned around and noticed. And oh boy, did I hear it for not paying attention. And from then on, I decided I'm going to pay attention when I ride. I'm going to be an active, engaged writer. I'm not going to just doodle along looking for lizards anymore. I still look for things, you know, but I pay attention. And this is still as an eight-year-old. As I as I grew, I realized that the things my dad was teaching me were valuable lessons. All the time he was teaching, showing us how to do things. Now, a lot of the stuff I still do the same as my dad, a lot of the things I've changed. But people ask, who do you look up to the most in your horsemanship and mulemanship? For sure, my dad. He taught me more than anybody. And a lot of it was was things that uh, these days we've, you know, even my dad changed later on in his horsemanship. But, you know, I remember another time my dad uh, was explaining how you dally when you're ponying a mule behind you or when you rope something, how you dally and how important it is to be able to handle your dallies. So, you know, as you're working, colts are pulling on, you need to know how to dally that lead rope around the horn. You need to know how to get it off fast. You need to know how to handle your slack and all these things. He tried to teach me that. And one thing he said, you shouldn't have to dally more than three rounds around that saddle horn. If you're dallying more than three rounds, you're, you're not using your angles and your leverage correctly. You know, you're, you're just not. And, and this is, this is for ponying a mule. It may be different when you, you know, you're tying off to a cow or something, but you know, when you're ponying a horse or a mule, you shouldn't have to dally more than three times. Anyways, he told me this, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> I go on and, Um, I'm trying to get across this concrete, uh, ditch. Um, I'm on, I'm on this little mule. He's just a little guy, just a little, barely 14 hands. And he jumps this ditch. Well, the mule I'm ponying about the same size as him, that mule says, nope, I'm not going. So as my mule jumps and remember, I'm dallied up at this point, as my mule jumps, it comes tight on this other mule and jerks my mule down. And my mule, as it jumped back up, the lead rope basically clotheslined me, and I come off. But I again, I, I, I get hung up between that lead rope and my saddle. So the lead rope has got my boot pinched, my leg pinched. And now the saddle mule, he proceeds to buck and run off, but I'm hung up. And I remember this mule stomping all over my fingers and my hands and my arms because I'm dangling down, little kid. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's all going to be busted. And it hurt, you know. And um, anyways, I finally come out and the mules still dallied up, <laughs> take off running back towards home. I'm about 11 years old at this time, maybe 12, maybe not quite 12, but um I'm thinking, oh my gosh, those mules are going to run home. And my dad is working colts in the backyard. I'm going to be in so much trouble because he's going to see how many dallies I have around. And I had wrapped that leader up around the horn over and over again. Next thing you know, my dad comes up the road and boy, did I hear it. Another lesson from dad, how to manage and how to dally. You know, it's also a blessing. I was you know, born to somebody that trained for a living, you know, and I, I was born to somebody that just lived riding. I mean, we rode every day, every night we'd go for rides up the canyon if we could, or at least at home. Every weekend we were camping. Every weekend we were going packing somewhere. We were doing something with mules all the time. And it was just an incredible Incredible blessing. My dad also lined up ranch work for us to do. He, he lined up with his friends opportunities for me to go to brandings and opportunities for me to go work cattle. And I just remember sitting in school waiting to get out. I couldn't wait to get out of school to go home and ride with dad. And my dad was strict with things. He wanted us to get homework done before we got home so we could ride when we got home. And I tried my best always to not bring homework home. I tried to get on a school bus before I got home so that I could just go right to riding. My dad was instrumental in lining me up to, to rodeo, to ride Bronx. Um, you know, uh, getting me hooked up with the correct people. One person in particular that my dad lined me up with, and I'm just incredibly grateful to my dad for this, was hooking me up with Louis Fields. If you've listened to the podcast long, you've heard me talk about Louis Fields, but he is incredible. Um, you know, he just passed away a few years back of cancer, but he taught me so much. One lesson, the very first time I met Louie, um, was at a rodeo school in Mount Pleasant, Utah, which is not far from where we live right now. Um, and, uh, I remember him setting up my Bronx saddle and he adjusted my binds on my saddle and I didn't like how they felt. Well, and and looking back now, I realized it's because I didn't know how it was supposed to feel. And so I was used to riding pretty crappy and, and not having correct adjustments. And he adjusted the binds on my saddle and I didn't like it. And so I changed it. And he came back the next day and he looked at my saddle and he said, why did you change your binds? And I was thinking, how on earth did he even know? Like, how did he remember what hole the buckles were in? But that guy had so much attention to detail. He knew exactly what hole he had left it on on my saddle. And mind you, he was adjusting a dozen other saddles for other guys riding and stuff. But he knew where he left it. And that attention to detail just struck me that you pay attention to things. Watch those things. And, you know, I got a million lessons to share about Louie, and you guys have heard a lot of them. But my dad is to blame for lining me up with these incredible people. So it is important. The circumstances that you're put in, the people that you get to be around, just the fact that you get to listen to a podcast like this about working with equine is is a factor in this whole situation because there's people in the world that will never be able to listen to this podcast or any others like it. They'll never be able to watch training DVDs or attend a clinic, but you get to. If you're listening to this right now, you get to. So this is part of it. Your opportunities come to you. It's just how you seize them. And I was so blessed to be born to somebody that gave me so many opportunities. And with that being said, um, I want to introduce you all to the next generation of mealmanship. Uh, Somebody that also is able to be born into this circumstance. And I hope that someday she'll be grateful for this for the opportunity to be able to ride. But I want to introduce you to my daughter, Ellie Evans. Ellie, welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> you've, uh, you've never been able to be on the podcast yet. You've asked me lots of times, huh? hmm So, Ellie, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Um, tell them how old you are. Tell them uh, about how, how you've grown up so far and uh, whatever you like to say. Go ahead.
1: Um, I am nine years old. And my favorite thing to do is ride my mini horse, Black Beauty.
0: Yep, you loved ride Beauty, huh? Mm-hmm. She's a good pony.
1: Yeah, and she's really fast. It's fun to ride her.
0: So, um, how many uh how many years have you been coming to clinics?
1: My whole life.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right, your whole <laughs> life, huh? I remember when you were just a little baby, we put you in Swayze, uh on either side of our bed, up in the top of the gooseneck, you guys were that little. You would snuggle up there. It's kind of like a little cradle for you. Yeah. But so you've been you've been um, on the road your whole life, huh? Mm-hmm. How'd you How'd you feel this fall when I had to leave you guys home and had to go by myself?
1: I was sad. It was not fun being home alone. With well, not alone, but because I wanted to go out with the clinic in mm-hmm. the clinics.
0: What's your favorite thing about the clinics?
1: I love watching people working, basically. And I like watching people work stuff out. And I like watching people like take notes, everything you say. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really cool.
0: What kind of things do you uh, see people having a hard time with?
1: Um, I don't know.
0: Like you said you like to see things work out. What what kind of stuff do you like work to see them work out?
1: Like sometimes they have a hard time with leg yields oh, and then yeah. like just like circles, especially with donkeys. Oh, it's yeah. fun to watch donkeys.
0: What do you think about them donkeys?
1: They're so cute. And <laughs> they're it's like it's a project because they are different than the mules and horses. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Because they have a harder time. They're not as flexible. As the mules and horses.
0: Hmm. Why don't you tell them about your very first equine.
1: Tina. Mm-hmm. She's the best mule ever. Swayze. her um, now. And when she's not riding her. I'll try to. Like her. And. She like taught me so much. And she's the. Like a really good rock hopping mule. Mm-hmm. she'll take care of you. she's the best
0: so you've you've uh, been riding Tina since you can't even remember because i've I put you on Tina she's the very first meal you ever rode you were just a little baby um mm-hmm. like I think the first time I put you on you was like three months old, just little you've seen the pictures of it huh mm-hmm. I had more hair on my head back then, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> now you have none.
0: Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tina was so good. Why was Tina such a good meal for kids? And and if, so these people listening, some of these people have kids, some of them have grandkids, and a lot of these people ask me all the time. You know, what does it take to make a good kid meal? What what does the meal need to know? Um, what kind of things they need to be, have going? What do you think?
1: Um. Need to trust people and say that you're gonna take care of them, and then you're now you're all those years you've been taking care of them. Now you say it's time for you to take care of the rider, mm-hmm. and then it. They need to know like to go wherever the person is telling them to go, so no one gets frustrated. But the meals also need to teach you. Because Tina teaches you a lot. Like, she'll eat. Like, that's all she does all day.
0: (laughs) She likes to have snacks, huh? Yeah. She loves to have snacks.
1: Yeah, that teaches Swayze to, like, get after her saying, like, she's saying that, Tina, it's not time to eat. Mm -hmm. Or, like, because Tina is teaching Swayze how to rock crawl right now. And it's helping Swayze have fun on mules. A bunch.
0: Yeah. What do you think uh, is the most frustrating thing about riding Tina? Her eating. The eating thing?
1: Mm-hmm. And her having – she struggles having a lope because she's so
0: fat. Yeah, <laughs> she's, she's a little lazy, lazy huh? Yeah. So – but me and Mommy tried to ride her every now and again, huh? Tin mm-hmm. her up so mm-hmm. we can get keep her sharp for you. Yeah. Tell us about um, – so so Tina – that's who you rode when you was a baby, but then you took a little break from Tina,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and you got to work with something very special. Do you remember I'm talking about? Crow? No, not quite. Bud? No. Penelope.
1: Oh, yeah. Do
0: you remember Penelope? Yes. So it's getting to be a long time ago now, but Penelope was a, a cute little mini donkey, and she was just so sweet for you. Do you, do you want to tell him about Penelope?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, She taught you how to stay on a Mm mule or a mini donkey because she would buck sometimes. Mm -hmm. But she also taught me how to work. Meals like I would come out with a flag and I would ride her, I would come out and feed her. I wasn't happy when we came inside from the cold when he would, um, Mm -hmm. like. Come in! I didn't like it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got you used to get really mad at me. We was <laughs> out there freezing our butts off, and you'd say, "I'd say, all right, it's time to go in," and you would just throw a fit and you would <laughs> just scream, and you did not want to leave Penelope. You wanted <laughs> her to play there all day, no matter if you got frostbite. <laughs> yeah. You, you went for a little bronc ride on Penelope, though. Do mm-hmm. you remember? Do you remember that at all?
1: Yes. I Remember when she did three little hops <laughs> and I came off and got a mouthful of dirt.
0: We was in Wisconsin. Yeah, it was my very first time going to Wisconsin and we was in Evansville. And uh and I think it was uh my buddy Joe, his uh his little Corgi, I think it was his. I can't remember, but I
1: thought it was a border
0: collie. And I think it was his Corgi dog, um or somebody's dog. Uh Ran across the arena and Penelope wanted to chase it. And so she took off running to chase it. But then it kind of, you, you bouncing on her kind of spooked her. So then she did three big jumps honk, honk, honk. And you fell off and you were so mad that you had a mouthful of dirt. You're just mad about it. You didn't you even, let go. You didn't ever. even cry or anything.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, you guys, you were just riding on your own out there. I wasn't holding you. But you let go. Nope. You had your own reins. Oh. Yeah, you were just riding around out there. And she took off, and you got a mouthful of dirt, huh? Mm-hmm. What that make you do, though?
1: It made me feel mad.
0: Yeah. But you got right back on and did some more riding, huh? Yep. Yep. So Penelope taught you a lot. You did a lot of groundwork, and you learned how to saddle your own. hmm And this is when you was about four and uh, five, I think three, four, five years old in there, huh? You think so? So that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you went back to Tina, and you rode her for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then your next one was Chrome.
1: Yeah, so I could give Swayze Tina.
0: Yeah, let's so talk about Chrome a little bit.
1: Chrome was... I had so much trust in her. I could lope with no hands. And she would make me feel safe. And, and she was not the lovingest meal. That's the only... And she would get sassy sometimes. That's the only thing I didn't like. And everything else, she was great trail rider. She was a bridal mule, so she was really good at telling you where to, like letting us tell her where to go. And yeah.
0: Yeah, she's a pretty cool mule, huh? She's so cool. So we're going to thank one of our sponsors real quick. When I come back, Elliot, we're going to talk about what you learn in the clinics and some suggestions for some of the other writers with the kids. Okay. Kay. Okay, friends, I got to tell you about Boyd Ranch Mule Days in sunny Wickenburg, Arizona. Coming up March 6th through the 12th, 2023. It's right around the corner, you guys. You got to join us for this. We got a clinic ourselves. We're putting on March 6th through the 8th. Uh, Also, my good buddy, Chris Clark, an amazing Grand Canyon packer, Um, he's doing a clinic there. And we did a podcast episode with him uh, a few episodes back. Uh, Check it out. Chris Clark, him and his wife, Marisa, are just fantastic people. And he's doing a three-day packing clinic out along the Haseyampa River. Hope I said that right, Scott. Um, And uh, it's a great time. You know, Scott Stewart. Lisa Taka, a whole bunch of other people. They do an incredible job putting this Mule Days on. Uh, There's trail rides every day, you guys. Short, long, ultra long. uh, Dang good food, dinner, breakfast. Uh, This year, they got some Nashville songwriters um, and amazing artists coming to entertain us. Uh, We have a good time dancing. My girls love to dance there. We have a great time just a a wonderful experience. They got a mule ramble, they got a trail course and all the proceeds from this mule days goes to benefit children's programs there at Boyd ranch, Uh, a great opportunity to give back to the youth. Um, and we love the kids coming up. We want to continue this legacy. So we would love if you would come support mule days at Boyd ranch. um, for more information, go to boydranch.org, look it up on social media, Boyd Ranch Mule Days. Uh, just come enjoy your time with us. We would love to see you there. So, a lot of times you see some other little kids come to clinics and you see some of the animals they're riding. And what, what would you say is the biggest problem with these other kids' as mules that you wish? that could be fixed? What, what things do you see that need some help with Uh, kid mules?
1: Um, that like some of them are just slow and they need them. Like Tina can be sometimes Mm -hmm. too slow and then you can get frustrated kicking and kicking Yeah. or they won't turn. Mm -hmm. That's sometimes hard.
0: That is annoying, huh? Because mm-hmm. most kids, it, there's there's a different um, progression that you guys go through. See it very in very beginning when you first start riding, you kind of want something nice and gentle and slow, and so you can kind of learn and learn how to move them around. But at some point, you want to go ride, huh? Mm-hmm. And it's really annoying when they're slow and or or when they are dull and unresponsive and they don't want to get up and go. And then the kids get frustrated and they want to quit, huh? Mm-hmm. That's that's annoying. Yeah. What else do you see um, in the clinics from these kids and stuff that that you wish you could help them with?
1: Well, like, I wish I could tell them, like, because Tina says, oh, Swayze's not – I don't need a babysitter anymore. She's babysitting me now. Mm -hmm. Because Swayze was like, I want to go hop rocks. I want to go lope. He's like, I thought I was supposed to babysit you. So you'll sometimes just get, like – I thought I was babysitting you, basically.
0: Yeah. So you have been to forty-three different states in your life. Did you know that? Yes. Been to forty-three states. Um, what's your favorite? Here. <laughs> Utah. <laughs> Why? Um, Just because you're home. Yeah. So, do you like being doing clinics, or do you like to stay home more?
1: I like doing clinics. Well, it depends on where it is going. I like Colorado and Virginia because mm-hmm. they're a lot of fun because we have, like, family there. we not, like, friends that feel like family. Mm-hmm.
0: You've made a lot of friends, huh? Mm-hmm. you got friends in all kinds of states, don't you? Yes. So some of these states you you have friends that write you. Is that, do you really enjoy that when these kids write you letters?
1: Yeah. There's one in Washington. Mm-hmm. Her name is Bailey... Uh, was her? I I forgot her last name. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Paisley.
0: In Wyoming.
1: Um, yes. Colt's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have Beth. She's not a kid. She's the funniest person on earth.
0: Beth is kind of a kid. She's she acts. Like she's Gwen. older than me, but she's kind of a kid, huh? She acts like one. <laughs> like yeah, she's pretty fun, and she lives in Indiana. Yeah. But I don't know where she's at. She, she is go, she goes all over, huh? Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. I think she's in Indiana right now.
0: It's fun to have pen pals, huh? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yep. really fun. So what's your, what's your favorite thing about the clinics, going to clinics and being on the road? What's your favorite thing of all?
1: Making friends Making and friends. talking with people. Talking is my favorite thing.
0: Mm-hmm. What about, uh, what's your least favorite thing about clinics?
1: Um, probably the things I already know in clinics when, like, if I'm, um, participating in the clinics, I think it's boring because like doing center circles, because my mule already knows it. I'm like, I'm bored. I want to lope. I want to run. I'm Mm -hmm. ready to go.
0: It's kind of hard for you sometimes, huh? Because for all the people there it's it's brand new clinic for them and they they're there to learn they want the whole class huh yeah but you already just did that class last week and the week before and the week before and the year before and the two years before yeah huh. so sometimes that's hard but you have to remember we're there to help them right yeah so what's a lot of people ask when i'm going uh what's life like for you and swayze um on the road what what kind of things that you know, what's your schedule like? What, what kind of stuff do you guys do? So, let's talk about um, on a traveling day. How do you guys travel?
1: Well, we watch we watch movies in the car all day long. In the truck. Yeah, in the truck. And we e- we either color or we'll, I'll just watch out the window listening to music or watching the TV. Mm-hmm. And... It's fun because sometimes we get a day off school. Yeah. And we're like, all right, let's go on the trek all day, every day, so we don't have to do school. Um, I think it's fun getting out because you're like, but like seeing all the Rockies and then you can see flat and then you can see like super rocky, it's so beautiful.
0: Pretty cool country we live in, huh? Yeah. So, what's uh, what about our days off from clinics? What's what do you do on days off? So not clinic days and not travel days, the other days, what do we do?
1: Well, we usually sit around, or we like ride mules. Mm-hmm. And I'll go brush the mules if we can't ride them. I'll try to do anything with the mules, anything I can, cause it's. They're just amazing creatures. Mm-hmm.
0: What about what about uh, what, what kind of chores do you have to do? Because you you and Swayze always have jobs. What kind of jobs do we give you?
1: Um, clean dog poop or
0: you love that, huh?
1: Sure. Um, <laughs> but we'll either clean out the trailer from when the mules were in when we got back when we get back from the road.
0: Mm-hmm. You gotta clean stalls. Mm-hmm. sometimes you clean stalls for other people, huh? Oh yeah. To earn money. Mm-hmm. Ellie's an entrepreneur. So she's always trying to earn a little bit of money. She cleans stalls for people. She colors pictures. She paints pictures and you kind of do all kinds of stuff. Huh? You sell bracelets and stuff mm-hmm. and, and uh, she likes to earn money. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So what about on the clinic day? What's your schedule like on clinic days?
1: I'll try to get up earlier without waking without like not too early. So I don't, My mom's not grumpy about me getting up so early. I'll try to get school done as fast as I can so I can go out and participate in the clinics or ride my mule or just be free and enjoy the sun and basically go Mm. watch. It's like my favorite thing.
0: What kind of... What's been some of your favorite moments doing clinics or, or doing all everything that we do, this lifestyle? What's some of your favorite moments? Do you have stories you can tell about some fun times or anything? I didn't ask you these questions before, so you didn't get a chance to think about it. But is there a certain story you want to share with everybody?
1: Well, one of my favorite clinics is the cult starting, and there's, when we did it here, Beth, the lady we were talking about has a real name, Steve. Mm-hmm. So she's really funny and she'll say funny things. And she's like, and she'll call him like, Steven, I'm telling your father if she's, <laughs> if, if um, the meal did something wrong. Mm-hmm. She's just teasing. It's my favorite when she comes to clinics.
0: Yeah. She's funny. It's pretty fun. You get to do a lot of fun things. Mm-hmm. Remember uh, you and Jesse playing with the, the peacock feathers? Oh yeah, that was dancing that with the peacock feathers.
1: I planned that the whole week.
0: Yep, you did, huh? Yeah. What? One thing that I know is your favorite. You haven't mentioned it yet, but I know you love it. Is when you get to go out at lunchtime and ride while the music is playing.
1: Yeah, it's my favorite, and I don't want anybody in the arena while I'm loping.
0: Uh, yeah, but it, I tell people to go in there so they can go practice, huh? Well,
1: yeah, because that's why I go early. Because mm-hmm. like, I want to lope without getting in the way with anybody.
0: Yeah. You like to ride in the music, huh?
1: Yeah, I want to do it all day, every day.
0: This fall, there's a bunch of clinics I didn't have music because the sound systems that were there didn't let me have music. It was kind of lame.
1: Well, I'm glad I wasn't there then.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's fun to ride music, huh? Mm-hmm. Music helps people, makes them feel more comfortable, huh? Mm -hmm. They enjoy it, and people talk more. When I play music, people always ask more questions. When I don't play music, people ask less questions. Because they'll see
1: everybody move Mm -hmm. around.
0: Yep, it's kind of interesting, huh? Well, um, is there any other stories Mm -hmm. that you want to share with everybody about... uh, any clinics or anything that you can learn? You got, um, any other stories you want to share? I
1: don't really know.
0: Yeah. So I, at, at the, whenever I have guests on here, um, I always like to ask them, uh, suggestions for other people with their meals. If they, if there's a tip that they can leave for everybody else, what kind of suggestion or advice or tip would you give everybody with their mules
1: it depends on who it is
0: just general just everybody what, what would you say it's just a general word of advice
1: um i don't really know <laughs> it's
0: kind of hard to put you on the spot huh mm-hmm. okay well since it's november how about you tell everybody one thing you're thankful for
1: I'm thankful for all my mules and my family. Mm -hmm. It's good. And our truck and trailer so that we can go do fun stuff with the clinics. Mm -hmm.
0: So, you plan on coming with me next year? Are you going to stay home again?
1: I'm planning on coming with you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: All right. Well, uh, we're going to let Ellie go now, and I'm going to come back in just a moment and answer some questions from some listeners. So, we'll be right back. Hey, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at mules and more magazine mules and more has been around a long time. It's a great magazine and, uh, shoot, I've been reading this magazine since I was just a little kid. I remember my dad subscribed to this when I was little and I'd read it every month and loved it. And now, uh, our good friend Corey Daniels has taken over as editor of this magazine the last few years. And she has done an amazing job. Um, also did you know that meals more comes in a digital format you can download it on your phone read it wherever you're at so hey be sure to check them out MealsMore.com. and uh you know hey tell them ty sent you i'd be very grateful MealsMore.com. all right well that was fun having ellie on the podcast here for a little bit she got a little shy for a second that's okay um She's a good kid. You know, she she just uh, eats, lives, and sleeps mules and horses and loves everything about them, and, and uh, she works really hard. Um, kind of what I started the show out with is, you know, you got to take the opportunities that come your way, and then you got to work hard and make them blossom, and I feel like Ellie is doing that. She really enjoys really enjoys that, you know, and everybody's a little different too. You know, my, my second daughter Swayze, she enjoys writing, um, but at a different level that Ellie does, you know, Swayze, um, uh, has other interests, you know, she likes to sing and likes to dance and, you know, other, other stuff. And that's just fine. You know, that's just fine. Um, us parents will do our best to set her up for some success and whatever she's interested in. So anyways, uh, I'm glad we got Ellie on here. and And if you guys uh, enjoyed having her on, maybe uh, in a little while we can bring her on again and I can take questions from y'all to ask her uh, what you'd like to know, Uh, because it's funny at the clinics, people like drill our kids with questions, (laughs) you know, like at the, usually have a Friday night potluck or, you know, just visiting and, and a lot of people are very interested in our kids and, and the lifestyle and, you know, rate, you know, how, how. They're doing, and I really appreciate those of you that take the time to talk to our kids. And you know, um, we want our kids to to be mature and be able to talk to adults. And it's pretty cool that that you guys do that and you guys talk to them. So, and with that, uh, I'm going to get into some questions from listeners. So the first question comes from Nadine Chene. Uh, I can never say her last name. Chene, I think. My girl Moxie has a near side locking stifle. When traveling downhill, I feel her starting to get anxious. I move her front end over so we are sideways and stand for a bit. And then we tackle the downhill again, Or I simply do a serpentine downhill. She often has difficulty backing up because the stifles are locked. But will backing small mounts on the flat also help to develop those back end muscles? Is that all I can do and just keep on keeping on? Or is there something else I can try? Good question, Nadine. Um, as for the the stifled deal, um, you know, building those hind quarter muscles, any backing up, whether it's a slight incline or even on the flat, will help build those muscles. Also, uh, all of our lateral work, you know, rolling the hinds builds that the hind quarter builds those muscles. Moving the front end, shifting the weight onto the hind builds those muscles. Um, so it's all good for them. Uh, I would do a lot of roll the hinds, roll the front and a lot of, uh, backing up and that'll be great for them, you know, as well as transition. So pretty much any movement you can do, well, we'll build that, but especially those ones I just highlighted. So thanks for those questions, Nadine. I appreciate them. Um, all right, Natalie Miller, um, or excuse me. I don't know if it's Natalie Miller or Natalie Hill. Maybe one of them is her uh, maiden name or something. Uh, Natalie says, hi, I have a two-year-old Molly mule I'm working with. I have about 20 rides on her. I think we have been doing fine, but now she has decided to lay down on the job. How should I go about changing her mind on this? Any help would be great. She's my first mule. Um, I have worked with some horses. Uh, kind regards, Natalie Hill. All right, Natalie. Um, Okay. The laying down thing, the mule's only two. Um, you got about 20 rides on her. So, uh, just the first general thought that comes to mind. I, I don't know. I haven't seen a picture of this mule. I haven't seen any videos. I don't know. So I'm just going off of my first impressions. My first thoughts here is she's two and she's wanting to lay down on you a lot. Um, is she mature enough physically? Uh, this would be a question I would have for you, Natalie. Is this mule mature enough? Because uh, mules are funny. Donkeys are funny. If if they are overloaded with weight, they will lay down. I have seen so many mules in the packing industry, especially that if they're overloaded a bit, these things just, just lay down. They just lay down and quit. Um, on the other hand, let's just say everything is fine. She's she is mature enough. Um, you know, she can pack you and everything's just fine. Well, uh, you need to do a little bit more to catch it before she begins to lay down. The mules do so much to prepare to lay down. There's so many things to see. It may seem like it's fast and just out of the blue that they lay down, but I promise you it's not. They do something before they do it. You You, you watch them start to take short steps. Listen for that tail. They always swish their tail before they want to lay down. It seems like, um, they'll often put a little bend in their body. You'll feel one quarter go down, you know, um, they don't just, just tip over sideways. So, um, feel for those things. And when you feel that mule going to lay down, you might get busy with your legs and drive that mule and and hustle it up a little bit. Also be sure that, you know, as a two-year-old baby like that. Hopefully your rides are pretty darn short. When I start my two-year-olds, my rides are real short. I prefer starting with three these days just because I like to ride them a little bit more just due to my own scheduling. I don't have um, the ability to put a whole bunch of short rides on my mules these days. These days, I kind of get to work them a few days a week um, you know, because I'm rotating through so many mules these days and because of clinic schedule. So I like to ride them a bit more. So I wait till they're three, um, and you know this way, um, they could, they have a little bit more of endurance, a little bit more longevity to them. And so sometimes these two year olds they just plain get tired. These babies just get tired too. So keep your rides short and sweet would be my suggestion. But um, you know if you can keep them shorter and and not have them, you know, uh, kind of quit on you like that it, it'd probably be pretty valuable. So thanks for the question, Natalie. Next question comes from Tracy Folly. Um, since the clinic in New Berlin, we have, uh, we've been working on transitions, Rocky lopes uphill and calmly on the trail in my 50 foot round pen. He trots fast and slows down just fine, but puts his head down and kicks. When I ask him to lope, my vet checked him and physical, uh, and physically, uh, the mule's good. Tack issues have been eliminated. Does does he just hate uh, to be confined? Really working hard to improve our relationship. All right, Tracy. Um, you know, anytime the mule has trouble going into that lope, I'm probably going to magnify the trotting a little bit. I'm, pr- I'm going to focus on that trot quite a lot. Um, I'm going to work a lot on the, the walk to trot transition. Uh, particularly paying attention to the punctualness. I have noticed a direct correlation in mules that are not punctual, going from the walk to the trot, being the same mule that will have issues going from the trot to the lope, meaning maybe they want to kick out a little bit, maybe they want to buck, maybe they have a hard time picking up the lope or whatever. I've seen a direct correlation between those for sure. So, I would say pay a little bit more attention to your walk-to-trot transition. Try to get that punctual and try to get it smooth. And, uh, I, you know, I'd bet that the loping kind of takes care of itself from then on out. The other thing, you know, you mentioned the mule lopes out nice uh, on the trail, um, and that's great. You know, on the trail, there's a lot of natural impulsion and natural Drive, you know, they're they're made to move. They're made to travel. They like that pull. So, I would also encourage you to utilize that. If things are going pretty good out there, keep working on it and be more thorough. You know, riding out on the trail, you can really be punctual in your transitions because you can say, okay, when I get to that tree right there, I want to shift to the trot. Now, when I get to that tree right there, I want to shift to the lope. When I get to that tree right there, back down to the trot. That tree right there, back down to the walk. And you can, you can really work on, uh, being precise in your punctualness. And I I would use that, you know, it's not a big deal. They don't need to lope in a 50 foot round pen. I mean, I know that's what you got at home and that's what you have to work on. Um, and, and you do need to get it good everywhere for sure. But if you got a decent, um, impulsion out on the trail, go ahead and use that to your advantage. And, uh, and then the other stuff will kind of fill in the gaps. I'm not saying to avoid, doing it in the round pen. I mean, you should do it in the round pen. I'm just saying work on this stuff where the getting is good. And you guys have all heard me preach this a million times. Anything you guys can do out on the trail, do it out there. It's so much better than doing it in a round pen or the arena. I want my mule the same everywhere I go, whether I'm in the arena, I'm in a feed yard, I'm in a cow pasture, I'm up on the mountain, I'm out on the desert, I'm down in the canyon whatever, I want them consistent. Um, that's very important to me, but as you're working on these things, if you find an advantage, uh, use that advantage and do the best you can out there. And then it'll kind of bleed into the other parts. So, um, I would really work on that punctualness from that walk to trot transition, Tracy, um, and then reward the lope. This is the other thing I would do um is really reward that lope so i would work getting the lope and then just leave them alone let them die all the way back down a lot of times it it, some of these animals this is the correlation i'm talking about if they're lazy if they're not punctual if they're not getting into that lope when you ask them to it takes a little while you push 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 push, push, and you finally get them in the lope and you you, now you don't want to let them quit loping you're like i finally got it let's keep going let's keep going when really that's the last thing you should be doing. You need to slow it down and uh, reward them for getting into the lope. When I'm working with my colts, I reward them, I mean, hundreds of times, just for getting the lope transition. I'm not trying to hold it at all. Just get it, reward it over and over and over and over again. Eventually, they'll they will know, hey, the quicker I get in that lope, the quicker these guys leave me alone. And then that's the point where you can add in. Okay. Now let's go ahead and ask the mule to lope for a couple of strides. Thanks for the question there, Tracy. All right. Um, next question here is from Jackie, uh, Jackie Derrick. Hi, Ty. We participated in a clinic in North Carolina in the spring of 2021. I have a going on nine-year-old uh, mule. Um, Let's see. There's a lot of details here. I don't need to know. Okay. Um, mules are new to us, and I've learned a lot. They require uh, patience, and they think more than horses. Well, they're very similar, Jackie. We're going to talk about that. Mules aren't so different than horses, you guys. They're really not. Um, so she's had this mule for two and a half years. Um, Cash has learned he can use his neck and shoulders to escape and halt her on a lead. He also is like driving a truck without power steering under saddle. He is not generally spooky, but is very alert. So, we got into a sketchy situation last Tuesday where Cash bolted. I stopped him, dismounted, and he pulled away from me onto the road. Uh, Could have been a nasty accident. Um, I use a miracle bit like the one he had been ridden with when we got him. I suspect Um, he was an Amish mule and was ridden in a straight line only before our purchase. I've been working on obstacles from the ground, um, in a stop halter. I don't know what that means. I'd like your thoughts on the best, most efficient, s- successful method of creating soft and light responses to the bit or alternatively the bozal snaffles, flexing circles. Anyways, your suggestions would be generally appreciated. Okay. Um, so Jackie, uh, good questions. couple things. Um, if you ever have issues and you're out along the road or on a trail and you're having trouble and your mule is on high alert, like you're saying, uh, don't get off unless you're willing to lose that animal. Because, you know, if I'm in the saddle, I can run as fast as they're running. All I got to do is stay on. And I'm with them. If I'm on the ground and they go to take off, it's game over. I lose my mule. It runs out the road, gets slammed by a car. You know whatever I could really hurt somebody, maybe get somebody killed, get a meal killed um anyways, so um I am I am uh gonna stay on okay in that situation now, I totally understand if you're bothered, you know you for your own safety, you'd be like, well, forget this, and you let the meal go, okay, whatever, I get that, but I'm not. I'm not there. I, it's not something I'm going to do, you guys. I'm going to stay with that animal. So you want to fix this stuff. You you got to be there for that animal. Okay. Uh, I know there's all kinds of situations and scenarios you could go through. The other thing I would say is you got a lot of work to do, Jackie. Um, your, your groundwork. If they're bolting on the ground, you ride what you lead. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot. We've proven it millions of times. It seems like... Um, you ride what you lead. So if they're bolting on the ground, they're dragging you on the ground. You are going to get that same behavior in the saddle of some kind. There's going to be a relational behavior, you know, um, for sure. The the mule doesn't know that there is peace to be found being with you. The mule thinks that there they get the release. They they find the relief being away from you. So you need to make sure that you're setting things up that the mule the mule can find a little peace and comfort with you. And even more importantly than with you, within themselves. I don't want there to be a destination correlation in this, in that they say, you know what? I don't feel good anywhere around that human. Let's just get the crap out of here. Because as long as I'm away from them, I feel better. We don't want that. We want the mule to find comfort in us and in themselves. We want to help them learn how to self-regulate. Now we've had a lot of episodes on bolting mules and we've talked about a lot and we've got a lot of videos and stuff out there because it just seems like people are doing a poor job at getting their mules broke to lead. And I think it's because mules are so easy to deal with, you know, from the beginning, people just drag them around. They just drag these things around. They just jerk them, pull them around and they don't actually teach them. They wouldn't get away with that with a horse from the beginning. You know, I, they just don't. The, the horse is so athletic that I, I feel like people just do a better job in general with teaching a horse how to lead. With the mules, it's like, oh, well, they're just a mule. They drag the thing around, they get it dull, and then pretty soon, the mule's dragging them around. So, go back to your groundwork, Jackie. Um, go through the groundwork checklist. Be very thorough. And even more so, really teach that mule how to self-regulate. You need to bring it up a little bit. When you see the mule kind of getting up into that sympathetic nervous system, They're a little, little bit of anxiety, a little worried, a little nervous. Bring it back down, relax, and let it come back down. And you can do this up and down you go. Um, really working on teaching that mule to find peace within itself. When you give that mule some soak time, so you take that mule up a little bit. You get it up into that sympathetic nervous system a little. You get them a little worried, a little dose of caution, a little dose of concern, and then you pause and you let them come back down from that and let them soak. Watch for the expression. So, fixing these mules that want to take off and bolt like this is is not so mechanical as it is mental. This is a huge mental block. The mule says, I got to get out of here. I got to find comfort somewhere, and it ain't with you, human. So, that's the thing. Now, you don't achieve the comfort with you with it being all loves and kisses and hugs and treats, it's it's working with this mind, it's working with this with this brain and knowing how to do that. And you got to push it a little bit. And then before you pop that cap off, you got to let it come back down. So it, it's just managing that. A, a way I like to think about it is if you had a a bottle of coke and you have the cap <clears throat> barely on there, the cap is just Uh, excuse me, uh, barely screwed on and you shake that Coke up and you, you only shake up enough so that it doesn't pop that cap off. And then you let it, you let it come back down. So you, you, that's how you'd kind of manage that anxiety level. Excuse me. And, um, It's kind of, it's kind of like that with handling these animals and that anxiety and bringing it back down. Now, I don't know what this stop halter is. Just a good, a good rope halter is fine. You know, don't let people get into selling you on the gimmicky things. Um, rope halter is fine. Even a flat web halter is just fine. Whatever. Um, you don't need anything special. If you're putting leverage into your groundwork, you're trying to put a chain under there or Some people use a leather strap over the nose or whatever. You're not operating off of feel. You're not getting that mule thinking. You're just operating off of some, some leverage and some pain there. And that's not the point of the groundwork. So make sure you're, you're just using basic equipment. That's all you need. This is more about your maneuvers and getting that mind and getting that body than it is about tack. I don't know what a miracle bit is either. Um, but if I'm once I get this stuff sorted out on the ground, Jackie, I'm just working in the saddle, um, with a snaffle bit. That's it. Don't put a, don't put a hackamore on. You know, you don't want to hackamore if they're not operating, get off of a snaffle bit. When I go from the snaffle bit to that hackamore, and when I talk about a hackamore, most of you listening know this by now. I'm talking about a traditional hackamore, which is a bozal, a hanger, and a Makati. Um, they need to graduate to that. So it would just be a snaffle bit. And I would do a ton of bending and rolling those hinds over, um, connecting that leading rein to that leading foot, all of these bolting mules, every one of them, whether it's on the ground, on the ground or in the saddle, that they, they don't understand that leading rein. They, they don't, they're not looking to that leading rein. And so go back to those first few steps in the groundwork and in the saddle work and really focus on getting that mule to think about that leading rein. That's why we're so critical on that clearing the front move on the ground. If you don't know what that is, go to our video library and check it out. But you got to connect that leading rein to that leading foot. And then the saddle, the same thing. Um, A common thing I see among bolters in the saddle is the people. The people are the common denominator. They're not thinking about what foot they're trying to move? They're just pulling on a rein randomly. Like I can't stop my mule. Well, let me show you how to, how you operate. Let me see how you operate your rein. I see them. They just pull randomly. There's no timing at all with the foot whatsoever. How do you think you can get a bolting mule, something that's putting that much force and energy into getting out and fling the scene, if you have no timing with the feet? That's why it is a it is a job for for professionals too, Jackie. So don't feel bad. You know, this bolting on the ground or in the saddle, this is a big job. It's a professional's job. Now, you can do it. Anybody can do it. It's nothing special, but it does take some serious timing. And you do have to be thoughtful for the animal. Make sure you're doing it for the animal, helping that animal out. If, you, if it becomes a fight, you versus the animal, you're not going to get anywhere. So, Jackie, I'd go back to the beginning on that groundwork first. That's how you get them soft. That's how you get them light. Good question. All right. Um, Let's see. Um, What else we got here? Uh, This is a question from Lisa Taka, the wonderful Lisa Taka. Lisa is uh, one of our hosts. She hosts our clinics in Sedona, Arizona, which we still have openings for. It's a semi-private clinic at her place. Um, and today is November 9th when I'm recording this 2022. And, um, and if you want to come to an awesome semi-private clinic, beautiful riding there in Sedona, Arizona is just amazing in March. Um, working the roping steer, you know, we, uh, the roping dummy, um, lots of arena work, trail riding, great place to hang out. It's just a, one of my favorite clinics all year long. So she, she hosts that we still have room. If you want to get in question for mule tip Tuesday, I watched the introducing the two rain for the first time video. And I noticed there wasn't as much space between the three eights under the bridle and Riata's jaw as there is in just a -a hackamore. I was wondering how much space, how many fingers should, should be below the jaw and your first wrap on the under bridle hackamore. So when I'm in my Bozalita, I like about one finger under that, the from the jaw to the top wrap on that hackamore, that bozal. Okay, about one finger is What I need when I'm in the two rain. If, you, if you're listening, you don't know what a two is. Go check out our video library. It's when you are teaching the mule how to carry a bridle, and that's the process. Um, it comes after your hackamore, after your snaffle bit, when they start to learn how to pack a bridle. So. Um, One finger is the answer, Lisa. One finger is the answer, uh, typically. You can have two, so it's okay if it's a little looser, but one finger for sure. All right. Um, Last question for our show today comes from Miss Lisa Whitney up in uh, northeast country up there. Uh, Regarding transitions, I see that Waylon is not as punctual in making transitions of changing speed within transitions as I would like. I am prioritizing working on that punctuality. I ask, and when I get a punctual response, I reward by releasing. So if I ask to speed up the trot, and he gives that to me immediately, I stop asking and let him slow back down. I also know that I want him to be able to trot at the speed I asked for until I ask for something else. Do I work toward eliminating that release once he becomes consistent with the punctuality? The idea being that I get the punctual response to the question first, then work on keeping the speed consistent. Thanks, as always, Lisa Whitney. All right, Lisa, excellent question. Yes, you got it. Absolutely. You you get the punctualness first. This is what I was saying to Tracy earlier as well. You got to build the punctualness in all your transitions, the walk, the trot, the lope. Okay, just get them punctual in that transition. And then you get the... The uh, hurry up and slow down stuff going where you you hurry up the walk and you slow down the walk and you get those punctual, and then you do the same thing in the trot. Hurry up the trot, slow down the trot. You get you get just that accelerator, and and the the kind of the brake pedal kind of punctual both ways. You can speed it up, you can slow down in the punctualist. As soon as the punctualist comes for each transition and each. Speed within the transition, as soon as you're punctual on those things, then you start working on holding them. And this is a, this is a long process of building this. And this is, if you want to do a really thorough job on your transitions, most people don't. Most people want the benefits without all the work, you know, which is probably all of us, right? Um, You want to reap the rewards without putting in the work. The deal is if you put in this work, you take that time on the punctualness, it will work out for you. I promise it'll, it'll come together so nicely. So yes, you're right, Lisa, get the punctualness first and then work on, uh, holding that. Okay. All right. These are some great questions. If you guys ever have questions for our podcast, be sure to send me an email. My email address is ty. At tsmules.com, if you guys would like information on our clinics, go to tsmules.com. There's uh, our 2023 clinic schedule is up there, and we are booking. Um, it seems like a sin to say it already, but uh, you know Christmas is around the corner, and those of you that have been with us for years, you know what's coming. We got our 12 days of Christmas. So, if you guys are planning to come to a clinic in 2023, Uh, I'd recommend you get signed up before, uh, we start that, uh, 12 days of Christmas so that you can be entered in the drawings. We've got some good stuff coming your way. Um, check out our articles on there, the Mulemanship Masterclass. There's only three weeks left to get in on that. That is going to be incredible. If you want some help, you want to take your Mulemanship to the next level. Horses and donkeys welcome too. It's not just mules. Um, but if you guys want to Uh, really be sincere about your learning, check out that masterclass. It's on my website as well. And uh, if it's not too much to ask, I would love so much to hear from you what you think about this episode. Um, Leave me some uh, comments uh, on this, uh, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts. I'd love to hear these. I'd love to hear some comments uh, about Ellie that I could pass on to her Um, so she knows that we appreciated her coming on the show, even though she was a little bit nervous to do so. Hey, till next time, God bless you. And we will see you down the road.